Romans chapter 2. We got down through about verse 15, 16, right in there last time. And looking, you know, in the uh, really from verse 5 to 16, Paul is trying to prove, and we say Paul, but it's the Holy Ghost through the hand of Paul trying to persuade and convince the heart of man of the judgment of God. The misconception that somehow, and now this, this misconception exists today in Christian circles, but the misconception that the Jew is going to face a lesser judgment or that they're going to all go in or however you want to look at it, the Jews trusted that they were Jews in, in this day that Paul was writing this and that them being children of Abraham and going through ceremonies of the law, that was going to prevent them from having to face the judgment of God. And what Paul is doing in these previous verses here is proving that the judgment of God is with equity from Gentile to Jew. And that the Jew that is unsaved and undone, he's going to face the same tribulation and anguish and wrath and punishment that the Gentiles going to face. And uh, still today, there's the thought of the Jews that well, all the Jews are going to be saved. And a famous scripture, now it's later on in this book and we'll cover it, is that all Israel will be saved. Between here and there, we'll cover a lot of ground to try to settle our hearts on the truth of who's, who is going to be saved in this, in verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, who's going to be delivered from the wrath of God in the day that God judges the secrets of men? And to think about a day of judgment, I believe we're all aware, have heard many times about a day of judgment. You know, you see, you might see judgment in your own eyes in this life a little bit. Some evil person, they endure some great affliction, some great trouble, and man's quick to say, well, that's karma, or God's bringing that to pass on them, and they're having to pay for their sins. But I want you to know that no affliction, no trouble, no death that man faces in this world will be of any comparison to the day that God's going to judge the secrets of men. Because you see, there's a lot about me that you don't know. I think a lot of things that you don't know that I think. There's a lot of things done in secret from me and from you that nobody knows. And that's hidden. And you know, as I come into church, I don't really worry about you judging me for those things because I know that they're covered up. But God's going to uncover them all one day. All of the secrets of man is going to be uncovered and judged. And the wrath that man is going to face in that day, there is no comparison. There's nothing that we could look to to compare the wrath and the anger of God that's coming at that day. That last day of judgment. Now we could look at who's going to escape this day. I believe we would all be in agreement that in Revelation chapter 20, 
we see this day that he's talking of here in Romans 2, the day that God's going to judge the secrets of men. In Revelation 20, and there's a lot of ground to cover here, and we're not going to stay here long, so to skip around just a little bit, we have that the judgment in the last few verses, and he sees a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now when, when we hear that, if your mind is like mine, you think what he's saying is people that had died in the flesh and were buried. But in the context of the chapter, that's not what he's talking about. Who is the living in this chapter and who is the dead? In Let's, let's back up. We're still in Revelation 20, verse number 5. But the rest of the dead. So here's a distinction. There are some people that were dead, but now they're alive. And if that wasn't the case, he wouldn't say the rest of the dead. You see that? You see how the words work there? So, um, in verse 6, oh, I'm sorry, verse 5, we'll finish that. The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So these people in verse 4, you can look at that. You can read this when you get home. But in verse 4, you see a people, and we'll just say, redeemed by the grace of God, a people that God had plucked through the sacrifice of Jesus out of the dead and had made them alive. They had been resurrected. And you know, the wording, you can say adopted, you can say born again, you can say they were resurrected, they were brought to a new life. All, you got all different pictures and wordings through the Word of God speaking of the same thing. They're saved. God, the operation of God has redeemed them out of the power and darkness of Satan and translated them into the kingdom of His dear Son and the kingdom of light. These are those that were plucked and saved and the rest of the dead, they live not again. So the living and the dead in this chapter are those that are redeemed and saved. Those are the living. And all of those that are unsaved, those are the dead. That's right. And so the dead are going to stand before God. They're going to be judged by their works. Well, what about the living? The living's not going to be judged by their works. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God and the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed right. to their account. <clears throat> but the dead are going to give account of themselves before God and by the book, well, what's going to happen to them? Surely there's going to be some be excused. God's already revealed the end. You know, every single one of the dead that stands before God according to their works, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. They're going to face the judgment, the wrath, and the punishment of God. 
That's what the Bible says. So this day of judgment and these that are going to be saved from being judged by their works, it's those that's in Jesus Christ. Those that have been plucked as brands from the burning and brought into the kingdom of God as children of God. So back in Romans 2 now. So this judgment that Paul is showing of equity... It's amongst them that are dead. Are there Jews that are lost? There were in Paul's day. And he's going to prove that onward in this book. Were there Gentiles that were lost? There were. And they all needed one thing, to be born again, that they might escape this day of judgment. So amongst church people, are, are there church people that are lost today? There are. Are there Gentiles and pagans that are lost? They, there are. And they're all going to be judged the same. And if they're not written in the book of life, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, whether they're a, a churchgoer or a Christian, that's a term that's used awful lightly, really as an umbrella term today. A Christian or a, a, an unbeliever. They're all going to be cast into the fire if they are not saved by the operation of Jesus Christ. So verse 17. Now, now he's going to tighten it on down. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God. So restest to settle on or to remain and makest boast, to vaunt, or to glory. So what are they doing? They are uh, resting. They are settled on the law. They're trusting in the law of God and making their boast before men of their good works. See, they think in their mind that they are doing and meeting and measuring up to the standard of God. And you know, the Jew in this day, they had something that the majority of the world did not have. They had knowledge and wisdom and all that. We're going to look at all that later on in the book too. But do we not have that as well? What a small number of people go to a, uh, go to a church... And what a smaller number of people go to a church where the true gospel of the Word of God is preached and delivered. We've got something that the majority of the world does not have. And so, because we have this blessing of God, because maybe we're morally superior to the vast majority of our world, because we live better and you know, we're tr I'm trying to do the will of God. Because of those things, we're resting in the law. Not in Jesus, but we're resting in what we do. And that's where the testimonies of I pray, I do, you know what they're resting in? What they've done. Not in a work completed in Jesus Christ. Well, here they are. They are making their boast of God, and knowest His will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Now these people had an ability and a knowledge of what the will of God 
and what man should do. They knew that. Knowest. To know, understand, or perceive the will of God. Do you know what the will of God is? Do you know what God would desire and want you and I to do? Now, where does that knowledge come from? From the revealed Word of God? God reveals that to us. So we've got a knowledge and understanding out of the Word. And I would say this, out of the law. I would say we've all got not just a basic, but a pretty good understanding of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on Sinai. We know that God would desire man to do those Ten Commandments. By the law, that's what man must do to be right and to be righteous and to be holy. But it's not just knowing. We'd all say, well, we know about God. We know about God's Word. But approve us the things that are more excellent. So that stamp of approval that you see, you know, it might be on meat. It might be on a gas pump. But these things that are tested, they've got a stamp that these have been tested and approved. Well, these, these Jews, they approve the things that are good. They say, yeah, that's what you ought to do. They've got enough knowledge to look at you and say, yes, that's the way you ought to live. This is what you ought not do. Being instructed to sound down in the ears or indoctrinate being instructed out of the law. You know how they could do that? Because they had heard it their whole life. They had been taught it. It had been sounded down in their ears. They had been indoctrinated their whole life. You know where our knowledge has come from? We've been around it in some form or fashion our entire life. God has imparted to us knowledge of who He is of where He is, of His authority and of His power. God's imparted to us a knowledge of His will, of His Word. God's imparted unto us an understanding of what's good and what man ought to do and what he shouldn't. So they're approving things that are excellent and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind a light of them which are in darkness, a guide, a conductor. <clears throat> they considered themselves somebody that could help another person that was in bad shape, <clears throat> that was doubting, or that was lost and undone. Right. Here was somebody that could help somebody else in the way of the Lord. Thou art confident that thou art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, an instructor, a trainer or teacher of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of truth in the law. So what have we got? Well, we've got a people that's grown up around the Word of God and been taught it and instructed it, and they've read it, and they've heard it for their whole life. They've got a, a, a knowledge 
Now, granted, not a spiritual knowledge, but by being around it and hearing it for so long, they've got a knowledge and an understanding of what the Word of God says, of what the will of God is, and what man ought to do. And because of this knowledge they have, they're confident in their self and in their works, and they say, I'm able to help somebody else that's foolish, that's silly, that somebody with no understanding. I'm a guide to them that are blind, and I'm a help to them that are in darkness. Now that was the Jew in this day. That's what they considered themselves being. And that's what a great number of church people consider themselves. A high view of themselves and of the knowledge that God gave. Listen listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now this is speaking of the nation of the Jews in Moses' day. And you talk about a blessing of knowledge and understanding. Deuteronomy 4 verse number 8. What nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? God had given them a law, a knowledge, and an understanding that exceeded the knowledge and understanding of every other nation and every other people on the face of the earth. But he says in the next verse, take heed to yourself. You know, man's nature and tendency is to take that knowledge and boast in himself in it. And think higher of himself as a result of it. So he says, and I realize I'm covering a lot of ground quickly, but there's a purpose for that. Verse 21, Romans 2. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that slayest a man, sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Now here's the problem. The problem is the Jews... They were sinners and breakers of the law themselves. And though they had a knowledge of what they should do and shouldn't do, and though they could say, Vaughn, look, bud, you don't need to be doing this. This is what you ought to be doing. And they could say, Daniel, this is how you need to do in this situation. And they could say, Dwight, now, you need to quit doing that. That's not the way that you ought to do. They had the ability and the knowledge to tell people what they ought to do and what they shouldn't do. But they themselves were sinners and breakers of the law. Though they knew what to do, Though they knew how to help people, though they knew what you ought to do, yet they themselves were breakers of the very law that they had knowledge of. And they would say, Vaughn, you ought not steal. And they'd turn around and steal. You that would tell your children and grandchildren, listen, son, you ought not tell a lie. Do you tell a lie? You that say you shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You that say you ought to live for God, do you live for God? You that say you ought to be at church, are you at church? You that say that you ought to be praying about it, do you pray about it? 
Now you can cover it up now and pretend and act and you can say things that aren't true but remember we're talking about a judgment when the very secrets of man is going to be uncovered. So, they boasted in knowledge. They took credit for helping people. But they were breakers of the very law that they wanted to push on others. They could not keep what God said for themselves. So he says in Matthew 23, you know what these were? Matthew 23, verse number 16. Woe unto you, ye blind gods, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Now maybe that sounds silly, but listen to how that hairs were split in their minds. They said, now, you can swear by the church when you're making a deal. You can say, I swear by Liberty Baptist Church, but if you swear by the pulpit at Liberty, you broke the law. They were, they were more or less doing that with the temple. Now, that's silly, isn't it? Silly. But you know, that's the way people do with the law of God. They split hairs so that it does not find them condemned. They find ways around the law in their minds that would justify themselves. You know what Jesus says about that crowd? Woe unto you, ye blind guides, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever that sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. You can do this, but you can't go a little farther. You can dabble in sin just a little bit, but when you go a little farther, then you become guilty. People are wrong, and their trust and their hope is in the incorrect place. And though you've got a knowledge that you tell me you need to do this, don't trust in that knowledge because you do what you know you shouldn't anyway. And you don't do what you know that you should, do you? Don't, don't lie to me. I am just like you. You are just like me. We all are breakers of the law. So how foolish is it then that the Jew, trusting in being a Jew, trusting in knowledge and understanding, trusting that they're morally superior, but trusting in the fact that they help other people to learn about God, trusting in those things and yet breaking the very law that they know. Don't make any sense, does it? So yeah, you go to church. Yeah, you know more about the Bible than most people in Spring Creek. Yeah, you've been baptized and most people haven't. Yeah, we're, we're just a shade bit more moral 
than most people are in our community. But you're a lawbreaker, aren't you? For the he says in verse 23, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. So publicly, they're making their boast of the law. Now that's works. That's what the law is, is works. They're boasting in law, in works, in deeds that they've done. There's where their confidence, there's where their trust is, and yet go out the back door and they're breaking that very law and dishonoring the name of God while doing it. He says, and I, I realize this is a very familiar scripture in Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 12. Here's David and David's sin. And Nathan the prophet has come by the direction of the Lord to speak to David, really to, to finger David and say, you're the man. And he says this to him in verse 14. How be it, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So here's a man, David, the king over Israel, the nation that God's chosen and that God's presence with. And the king now is going to do a deed like this. You know what that gives? That gives the enemies a chance to say, well now, they're supposed to be godly. And look what he's done. Well now that's what boasters in works, that's what that brings, you know? I mean, you tell me how good you are, and tomorrow you break the law? <clears throat> you know who the devil's wanting to attack? You know whose reputation the devil would like to hurt? You can say mine, that, that's true. You could say the churches, that's true. But there's something much greater than that. The devil would like to use me and he'd like to take the church and dishonor the very name of God and the Savior Jesus Christ through the way that we live in this world. And these boasters in their works and in the law, they were bringing God's name down. They were harming... Now. I don't mean this. I don't. I don't want to say this wrong. Don't want it to be interpreted wrong. God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God Himself is not being brought down. But in the minds of people that are lost and undone, right around the church, right around my life, in their mind, they now think less of the God that I have because of my actions. So you see, not only are these people with knowledge. Not only are they lawbreakers, like the Gentiles are lawbreakers, but also because of this knowledge and their boast in it and their trust in it, they're not just breaking the law, but they're dishonoring the name of God. The sinners in downtown, they're not dragging God's name through the mud with them. Are they? No, you, you know who harms the reputation of God amongst our peers? Church people that make their boast in God. Make their boast in His Word. 
So he says in 1 Timothy, and you know, you can say, well, that was Old Testament then. Well, this is New Testament now. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, I will therefore that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. Why? Why would God put that in His Word? Well, He says, Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Chapter 6, verse 1, Let as many servants that are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor. Why would God say, Servants, honor your masters and do as they say? that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. See, what God's desiring is to bring down the the reputation of God in the minds of people. And I'm going to tell you something, and this is the God's truth. There's nothing going to harm God's reputation anymore than me saying, Daniel, you've got to quit that and you've got to do better and then tomorrow I sin. In his mind, he's going to think, well, he's going to be angry, first of all, for me jumping on him. And then when I sin, he's going to say, there's nothing to what they're saying. Now that's the result of it. You can whoop and boast in the law all you want. But when you sin, it's not just your reputation. It's your God's reputation that is brought down. So, the name of God, verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. So he's referring back here to that scripture in 2 Samuel. This is New Testament. Paul has took the New Testament and quoted it in regard to what was going on in his day, it's applicable for doctrine, for reproach, for teaching, just as much as it was when Nathan spoke those words to David. And so, through you, the name of God's blasphemed. So who's guiltier then? The Gentile that's overcome in sin, and yeah, they're worse than you, by the way, we think. And then there's the Jew who's boasting in God, helping people learn the Word, helping people know the law, trying to guide them that are blind, trying to be a help to people, and yet they're breaking the law, and not only sinning, but dishonoring God as well. See, knowledge knowledge brings greater responsibility and accountability. Because not only... Remember now, remember what we covered last week, that the Gentiles were accountable by the law that was in their hearts. Not the law of God, but by what they knew was right and wrong in their conscience. And they're breaking their own conscience. They were guilty before God. Well, what of the Jew, what of the church that's heard the word and makes their boast and knowledge, how guilty are they before God? If the Gentile man down the road that's never heard the gospel and lives in sin, if he's going to be judged, what of those in the church 
that know the Word and understand the law and tell other people what they ought to do and yet break it themselves, how are they going to be judged? See that accountability? That accountability is there for knowledge, for our understanding, for what we know of the Word. Verse 25, For circumcision verily profiteth to be useful or to benefit. Circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Now see, that's, that's bad news, ain't it? The Jew trusted that circumcision, a sign give to Abraham to mark his seed from then onward. They're trusting... And what he's saying is not the cutting of the flesh that they're trusting in. That's the sign. But they're trusting in their lineage and descendant from Abraham, the lineage of the chosen family of God, if you'll have it. They're trusting in those things. And what Paul's saying here, now Paul was a Jew. Paul was a man who followed in this religion. And Paul says your circumcision, your lineage and tie back to Abraham, that'll be beneficial to you if you keep the law. You know, going to church and knowing about God and studying the Word and praying every day and trying to live right and trying to, uh, to be moral and trying to help people that are lost and that are foolish and that are blind, those are good things. But if that's all we've got, we're going to have to keep the rest of the law as well. A church membership, a perfect attendance slip, and a baptism, it'll benefit you if you keep the law. But you see, when we break the law, we're just as guilty as the worst Gentile is guilty. That's what he's saying in these scriptures, if you keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Now that's big, big words. Who's broke the law? Had all of the Jews broke the law? I mean, if I believe the book, Every Jew has broke the law. If I believe the book, all of you have broke the law. And you know, honest, honest, with just a little bit of thought, it's not a huge step to see that all of mankind has come short of the law of the righteousness of Almighty God. But when we break the law, that circumcision is made uncircumcision. That is of no value to me. Being a good person, going to church, studying my Bible, whatever that might be claimed, all of those good works, we'll just say, when I break the law, all of those, it's just like I'm a Gentile. I'm guilty and I'm lost. Now, I, I realize this. In these verses, there's not a lot of hope. We're not in the hope place yet. 
You know what's got to be realized before hope is given? That there's no hope. God got me to a place where I had no hope. That I might turn to the only means of redemption that there was. Now that's what we're doing through this letter. We're looking at sin and there is no hope in sin. There's no hope in religion. There's no hope in works. There's no hope in circumcision. There's no hope in baptism. Being dunked in the water. Baptism. So, he says, Thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. And, you know, that's not a new doctrine. Let's look in two places in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, again, chapter 30, verse number 6. And I'm sure this is familiar Scripture to you as well. But now this is, this is Moses. Moses pinned this down in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. There was a greater work needed to be done in Moses' day than just a circumcision of the flesh. There was more that needed to be done and that by the book, only God could do than just being a Jew and in the lineage of Abraham. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse number 4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah. Who was Judah? Well, that was a tribe of Israel. These were Jews. And there was a work in the heart that needed to be done. So in verse 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Now, maybe that don't sound like much. But Paul's telling the Jew, look, if a rotten Gentile that's of the lineage of uh, let's just say Lot. You know where Lot's lineage was? He had incest with his daughters. That was Lot's lineage. Let's just say it was of the lineage of Lot. That if they kept the law of righteousness, they'd be right in the sight of God. They'd be accepted. Though they were outside. You know this? If somebody that didn't go to church and hadn't been baptized, if they keep the law perfectly, they're going to be right in the sight of God as well. Though they never went to church one time in their life, though they had never been baptized, though they had never made a profession, if they live the law perfectly, they're going to be right in God's eyes. That's what he's saying. Sounds far out, don't it? Well, now wait a minute. You've got to go to church. You, you've you've got to do these things. See, trying to get there by works, it's not like people think it is. You know why we come to church? Not for extra credit in the day of judgment. We come to church to hear about one that redeemed us from our breaking of the law. Not a boasting matter, 
but that we might come to hear, to worship, to give glory to the Redeemer that brought us from our breaking of the law. Church, it's not that for a multitude of people. It's coming to boast that we came. It's coming because I remember, I remember this, and I remember it plainly. As a, I was young. I might have been eight, nine years old, somewhere around in there. But I said, I said to mom, I guess I better go to church. She said, Are you sure you feel good enough? I said, Yeah, I feel good enough. And she said, Well, why? And I said, Because I want people to know I'm at church. I didn't fully understand that. But I was saying I want to go so people see me there. That's why a lot of people come. There's a pile that don't want to come. They'd rather be at home. This virus and being afraid of being sick, that's provided a, a, a lot of opportunity for that to happen. Well, we don't think we ought to. It's not wise. The governor says no. The news says we ought to close. The president thinks we ought to close. And we just ought not do those things. Now that's took over our world. But the God's truth is it's what's in the heart from the very beginning. Now that's the truth. So people don't want to come. We don't want to be there. Don't think we ought to be there. But they come. You know why they come? Because they want you to see them. And they don't want you to see that they've stayed at the house. It's a works thing. It's coming for my glory. It's coming for me to be seen. It's coming to honor me. But God... It's for God about. We're certainly not coming to hear about God. Because we'd stay at the house if that was it. But I don't want you to think you'll love me. It's the wrong thing, ain't it? Now that's that's pitiful. I realize that. But that's the, that's just the way it is. That's the way people's hearts and that's the way their minds work. And the God's truth now, the God's truth, if I don't get sick and die today, it'll be because God let me live. If I don't wreck on the way home into Spring Creek and drown, it'll be because God protected me and kept me from doing that. It's a truth. Somebody dies, well, it was their time to go. God ordered that. We've all said it. See, see how logic gets turned backwards to even words that we've said. Law. It's a shame, but it's the truth. Therefore, if uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision thus transgress the law? So, now we're, we're talking about equity again. You talk about God being level with everybody. Well, if the Jew breaks the law, he's guilty just like everybody else. If the Gentile keeps the law, he's righteous and holy. See, it's equal. Just because I go to church, that does not give me any special privileges before God. 
Though I go to church, if I break the law, and I'm going to stand before God by my works, I'm going to be guilty. And you know something else? Now, I, I guarantee you this. There's a Gentile somewhere in this world that don't go to church and don't really care about the Word, but they're, they're good moral people. I know some and you know some. And they, they might even, they might even be just a step better than you are. You know what he says that's going to do? Shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee. That's going to speak against us one day. That here's somebody, here's somebody that didn't know or care to know anything about God, but morally, they were better than you who knew the law of God. I tell you, Jew or Gentile, churchgoer or person out in the world, there's nobody that wants to stand before God by their works. You know what we're painting a picture of? No hope. You have no hope whatsoever going before God by the law or by your deeds. Your bad is outweighed. Don't weigh it up in your mind. Know this, that your bad is outweighed or your bad does outweigh your good. Your circumcision through your sin and breaking of the law is counted as uncircumcision. Your morality and your church membership is negated by your sin. There's no hope by the works and by the deeds of man. Now, now Paul's about to divide something up and we're not going to have time to cover these two verses today. But Paul's about to make a distinction of who the true Jew is. So there was a Jewish nation but they were not the true Jew. There's an outward body of 51 right here today. I, I know that all of that 51 is not the true church. There's a distinction. So listen to what Paul says. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So those that were of the lineage of Abraham, and those that were circumcised in the flesh, by the writing, I didn't write this, by the writing of the Word of God, he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. In God's eyes and in God's standard, the outward fleshly man and his ties back to Abraham, that does not make a man to be a Jew. 
He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. So let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is very, very familiar Scripture. But we're going to read it. Verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. The Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know, as, as we look on the outward appearance, I can come right up here and I can see everybody in the house. And looking on the outward appearance, we look like the church. That's what I would say. Is it not you? But see, God's not looking on the outward appearance. God is looking inward to the inward man. And you think about what Samuel saw now. Here's Jesse's boys, and they line up, and the oldest, he's the tallest, he's probably the most muscular and the strongest. And then you go down to the next, and he's a little shorter, he's a little scrawnier. And as you go on down, they get smaller and weaker looking. Now you walk up to those and you're going to pick the king to lead the nation. Which one are you going to pick? That's exactly the one Samuel thought of. This is the big one. This must be the choice of God. But you know, God's choice, he was smaller than every one of them. And he was out in the field. Even Jesse said, well, it ain't going to be David. We won't even call him in from the sheep. But God calls for David. So it's not as man sees. We've got to get past the outward appearance and what's went on in the flesh. If it's a work in the flesh, we've got to get past those things. But they, you, you heard this, but they went to church their whole life. You know where that is? That's in the outward appearance. Remember the people that come, but in here... They don't want to be here. You remember the children of Israel that came out of Egypt. And they were marching with Moses and the people, but the Bible says in their heart they turned back to Egypt. You know what they were going to do? They marched with Moses. They drank out of the same rock. They ate the same manna. They saw the same miracles. They were delivered through the Red Sea, but they died and perished in the wilderness. And you know what? By the outward appearance, they went to heaven just like everybody else. Men still say that today. Though the Bible tells us they died in unbelief, the Bible reveals that to us. Yet man is hung up on the outward appearance. The outward appearance has nothing to do with the redemption of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 2, you think about the circumcision that is inward. Chapter 2, verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him which is the head of all principality and power. 
in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. So this work here, this is Paul again, writing by the inspiration of the Spirit. Paul here says, Don't be fooled by men who's teaching rudiments of the world, <clears throat> who's teaching good works and morality and being bound to the law of God. Don't fall victim to believing that because you're doing something, God's going to do something. But realize this, that we're saved not by the outward man, but by the work of Christ in the inward man. Listen to what he says. Ye are circumcised with circumcision made without hands, putting off the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. All of the guilt, the picture of circumcision, the taking off of the skin, the filthiness and the corruption and casting it away for the cleanliness of the baby. Well here, here is a circumcision in the heart. What's being cut away? The breaking and violations of the law that we had committed. Our sin is being cut away and we're buried with Him in baptism wherein also ye are risen with Him. That first resurrection where we started, here you have it. We were buried with Him and we are risen. Not going to be. I tell you, the lost man's going to get up one day. At this last day, the sinner's going to resurrect. The wicked is going to get up and all of the world is going to stand before God. We better be resurrected spiritually. This work of God, the operation of God in the heart, this better take place today. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting. Oh, here's the law. Here's what man boasts in. How good we've been by the law, but we break it. Well, Jesus took the handwriting of ordinances the law of God, all of that that we had broken. And you know what that does? That stands between me and righteousness. I can't be righteous because I've broken the law. God, Jesus took that out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And I've said this many times, but it's a picture we ought to see. It was not magically disappeared. When he says forgiven, that doesn't mean God magically disappeared our sins and the guilt of them. The word forgiven, it means to lift off. And I've said this before, if you're weighed down with a pack and it's got you pinned to the ground and you can't get up, and I lift that off of you, I've got you up, you're now up, but that didn't disappear. I took the weight of that. I am now bearing 
what had you to be crushed and weighed down. Well, here's Jesus. The sins didn't magically go away, but He lifted them off and put them on His back and He carried them to the cross and there they were nailed. Taken out of the way that you and I could be righteous, that we could be holy, and that we could be right in the sight of God. You know who's a Jew? Them that are born by the operation of God in the inward man. And we'll look at more Scriptures and dig deeper into that next time. I thank you for your attention. A marvelous Scripture. Thank God for it and for His help in the Word. Anything you'd like to say or do?